Hello. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just laughing because we've had some audio issues. So this is the third time we're doing this. But <laughs> hi, guys. Welcome to Don't Fuck With Ghosts. The podcast about all things haunted, spooky, and supernatural. We are your Blost sisters. I am Greer. And I am Betsy. And I have a new microphone. So we were just trying to get that track worked out on GarageBand. But <laughs> if you're listening to any of our episodes that we've ever recorded, you'll notice that we've almost always had weird feedback issues. Yeah, and we don't know what's causing them because we don't hear them until afterwards when we're playing it back for ourselves and editing and everything. Um, but we could see that, like the we could see the noise from the feedback when we were listening it back. But and it like appeared to be on Greer's sound line, mm-hmm. which is why we think it is her mic. And so now we have a new one. But if we hear it again after we're done recording with this, then it wasn't the mic, and it we're probably haunted. Which really just like adds <laughs> to the whole vibe of the podcast. So yeah, really- I mean we've had listeners write in and be like um am I the only one hearing this <laughs> and I was like no we don't know what's causing it and they're like oh okay well I, we thought it was on purpose like to add to the spookiness of the show <laughs> which granted like thank you yeah that makes us sound a lot more like technical technologically advanced than we are yeah all this. so yes new mic so please do let us know we'll hear when we're editing but please do let us know if you keep hearing this feedback um because then I yeah I don't know yeah but, you know, we're learning. We're yeah. still new at this. We're all in it together, really. We're only in our 10th episode. <laughs> <laughs> we have a really good one for you guys today. But before we get into our stories, we just want to, like, catch up and talk about a spooky season some more. Yeah. So, uh, Greer and I have been going through a shitty time in life <laughs> as r- recently. You know, it's just that point in our journeys where life is the fucking worst. Yeah. And so, today we <laughs> coped by going to the mall and we shopped and mm-hmm. we ate food. Well, I ate food. Greer had a Shirley Temple. And then we ended... <laughs> And then we ended our trip by going to Bath and Body Works, getting some fall candles, and then, of course, going to Spirit Halloween. And we didn't, like, Spirit Halloween wasn't even planned, right? Like, we were leaving no, the mall, we, getting we were, ready yeah. to go, and we saw we it. We saw and it, it like, in the corner of our eye. Yeah, it was, like, calling to us, like, the pilgrimage we had to make. And it was a fucking good Spirit Halloween, too. Yes, it like, was very extensive. We posted a lot on our stories. Yeah, so go, go follow us it. on at DFWG Podcast on Instagram, and you can see all of the crazy stuff that they had there. But they had, like actual like like little, electricity yeah, powered it was, like things that it were was, jumping out at uh-huh, us it was and, almost like mini little walk through yeah. scare attractions yeah honestly. it was it was fantastic and then of course we saw you know they had the ouija board section which you guys know we felt like, weird even touching the board like yeah, we picked it, it was, up to see how much it would cost. it was like you know plastic wrapped and everything but mm, yeah it didn't feel good. the heebie-jeebies and because was, also behind the or but underneath the Ouija board stuff or next to it was like satanic looking stuff yeah like pentagrams and like fucking the ram's wicker. horns there that was like a called Rickard? yeah it was a ram yeah okay uh-huh yeah and like wicker pentagrams like something wicker, out of yes. Blair Witch Project yeah <laughs> but it was it was great we screamed a lot like there were children in there but we were the ones <laughs> we're, we're those screaming. bitches that get scared really easily and we love it yeah and we're like also excited because we just figured out a date to go to our favorite haunted forest which is in in Maryland it's called Markoff's it's like yeah. the best scary haunted forest walkthrough in the area and we're we have like plans to go later this fall mm-hmm. um with our friend Isabel and shout out Isabel yeah shout out Isabel <laughs> and we're just like it's finally happening like the best time of the year is here, here and we're just reveling guys. in it's it here. and okay so the official like the autumnal equinox is happening on September 23rd which is next Friday and I checked my weather app and on that day the the weather, like the temperatures go down. 
Like significantly. Yeah. Like 10, 15 degrees. Like there's one day where the low is 48 degrees. Beautiful. So excited. Oh my God. (laughs) Wait, I thought the autumnal equinox was on the 21st. No. But no, that's, um, that's summer. Is it not the same for every season? No, it's not. I think it changes also. It's always like in that same like time frame, but the day, the actual day can be different. Wow. Based on the calendar year, I guess, or because some, you know, leap years. That's crazy. Yeah. Shows what I know, so, which is kind of At least nothing. my calendar that I have up at my desk at work says first day of fall, September 23rd. Well, I'll trust that because I don't feel like double checking it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of fall vibes, I just wanted to tell you guys that I went to see Florence and the Machine was that last week? Yeah, you had a wild... Oh, my God. 36 hours? Yeah, I flew out to Chicago to stay with my friend Jordan. Shout out Jordan, who got us tickets for the concert. Um, and it was a really quick turnaround, just because I... When we got the tickets, I didn't think I would have any time off left. So, like, I was in and out in 36 hours. But if you're talking about, like, witchy, spooky fall vibes, like, Florence is just... If you... She's on tour right now. So if you have... Like, if she hasn't come to your a city near you yet and you're looking for that kind of experience, I would really consider buying tickets because not only is she amazing, but like the show is amazing. And the people who go to the concerts are showing up in like full, like witchy vampiric costumes. And it just was, it was just amazing. It was like a religious experience. So join the cult of Florence and the machine. If you are able to, while she's still on tour, cause it was just, it was amazing. We listened to some Florence on the way back from the mall today. Like, yeah, we were getting into the spirit. Ugh, she's so ethereal. I know she's, literally she's perfect yeah perfect <laughs> and very good witchy vibes if you want like music to get you into the fall mood yeah i have a witchy stuff. uh witchy vibes playlist on spotify and it's mostly consisted of her music yeah her and stevie nicks <laughs> i mean they she has this one song on her new album that is very stevie nicks ish so if it's yeah well do you want to get into the listener story for this week yeah i will pull it up right now so our overall theme for this week is pretty dark we'll get into it um, after we read the listener story, but we wanted to, you know, kind of start it off on a lighter note, if you will, just so that the whole episode isn't super dark yeah. and demonic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is from Mara. Mara, thank you so much for sending this to us and I'll get right into it. She says, hello, Blost. <laughs> My name is Mara and I really love your podcast. I started with episode seven and lis- seven listening backwards and I'm on episode three. And I just want to say that I looked up the Hands Resist Him, which is the painting that I covered in episode two or three. Three. Earlier episode. So she says, I looked up the Hands Resist Him and just looking at it gave me a super tight feeling in my chest and I felt almost short of breath. Wow. That's creepy. I hate that painting so much. (laughs) She says, okay, so on with my story. This may be a long one. So to preface, I have always been more empathetic and could feel or sense things, never seeing anything. When I was in college, my mom got remarried and we moved from a two-bedroom apartment for four of us girls, uh, parentheses, my mom, me, and my little sisters, to a four-bedroom house with my mom and her new husband. They're not together anymore. Good riddance. Anyway, in this new home, not much seemed to happen until we got a puppy. She's a cream-colored toy poodle named Isabel that I called... (laughs) That I called Jizzy because she used to hump everything. Jizzy. Jizzy, shout out. (laughs) And is now five years old and my sister's sidekick. Anyway, once we got Jizzy, she would always stare near the garage and growl no matter what room she was in. If she could see the garage door, she would growl. 
Mm-mm. Dogs know. Yep, they always know. Since she was a puppy, we would put her in the gated area off in the den at bedtime so she would have no accidents, and she would start growling and crying and not in the sad puppy way. When she would get like this, I would pray for whatever it was to leave her alone, and within seconds, she would be calm and go to sleep. Oh, sad. Okay, she continues. One day, my mom and her husband were watching a movie in the living room while we were not home. They said they heard a loud bang in the kitchen, and when they went to look, there was a potato right by the fridge. The potatoes were on the counter directly across from the fridge, but with a good six to eight foot gap from one end to the other. If the potato fell off, it wouldn't have gone that far, and they said it sounds it sounded like a bang and not a plop. Oh my god. Potato <laughs> ghost. <laughs> Another time I was watching my nephew, who was three at the time. He always loved going to grandma's room because she had candy. I mean, same. That sounds yeah. amazing. <laughs> He was babbling, but almost like he was having a conversation and walking to my mom's room and climbed in her bed. I followed after him, and when I got in there, the TV turned on. I figured he sat on the remote, but when I went to grab it to turn the TV off, it was not on the bed. And it was, in fact, on her dresser, where my nephew could have never reached. Mm-mm. I turned the TV off and ran out of there. Oh, and my mom's room shared the wall with the garage, and the doors were right by each other. Oh, my God. Sketch. And she continues, the last instance I remember, I had just gotten back from school and one of my sisters was home. We will call her B. I was in the kitchen, which had a straight shot view to the hallway that connects to the garage, my mom's room, the den, and the living room. I saw B walk from the garage to the den, parentheses, the room she claimed over an actual room. And this was not weird because the laundry was in the garage. I said something to B. I honestly can't remember what. And she replied to me, but her voice was behind me. I asked her, B, where are you? And she said she was in the bathroom, which was behind me and on the opposite side of the house than the garage and the den. I then replayed what I saw in my mind, and I remember seeing a white, almost see-through figure walk from the garage to B's room. This was years ago, and I only just told her about it. She freaked out, but then she said it's actually not surprising how creepy that, with how creepy the house was. Anyway, sorry for multiple stories. No need to apologize. We love them. Give us all your stories. Yes, please. But I feel like they all tied in together. Thank you so much for your wonderful podcast and stay the fuck away from Ouija boards. Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> um, I'm concerned about this garage. Garages are creepy as fuck. They really are. You remember my parents' garage that's like looks like yes. hoarders buried alive? Literally, yes. But then, like, it's funny because garages also always have, like, the garage fridge that has the fun drinks in it. So sometimes garages yeah, can be fun. That's true. But not this one. No. Oh, that's so Haunted. creepy. <laughs> oh, you're... The, yeah, dogs, animals, pets, they always know. They do. They know. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Mara, for sending that in. And anybody else listening, as a reminder, you can always send any paranormal encounter story that you have to our email at gmail... Wait. <laughs> At gmail.com, bitch. <laughs> at dfwgpodcast at gmail.com. Do we want to get into our stories yeah. now? Should we reveal the theme of today's episode? Yeah, so being our 10th episode, it's a big milestone for us because we don't record every week. So even though we've been doing this since March, we are now just getting to our 10th episode, but that's like, that's big. Yes. I mean, like you said, like our right now our lives are a little tough, but outside of this, like... Life is just busy and we have full-time jobs plus like social lives and we live by our families. So like it's hard for us to get together to record consistently. So yes, 10 episodes is huge Mm -hmm. for us. So that coupled with it being pretty much 
I'd say it's spooky season officially oh, now. Bath and Body Works um, also agreed that it was spooky season. Yeah, everything is fall now. So <laughs> you know what? We're going with it. And we wanted to do a big theme this week. So in honor of all of that, each of our stories today are going to be covering infamous cases investigated by Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are two of probably the most iconic and most famous demonologists. Yeah, of ev- all time, ever. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I was almost going to say in the U.S., but since they've investigated internationally, too, I would say in the world, probably worldwide, yeah, for sure. Um, if those names aren't super familiar to you, they are the folks who investigated all of the conjuring, like the the cases behind those movies. Yes. That's Ed and Lorraine Warren. They're in the movies themselves, so like that that's who we're talking about. They are real people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're each covering a Warren case today. Yeah, and. We should probably make a disclaimer that the um, content of these stories um, will include, at least mine will include, demonic possession and murder and things that, you know, are a little bit darker than, than, you know, the average ghost story. So if that makes you uncomfortable... We we yeah. wouldn't be um, feel free you know, to skip this one. That's yeah, okay. it's it's uh, it's gonna be intense. <laughs> it will be. It should be good though. So if you're willing to stick around, let's get into it. Yes. So I'm gonna go first, and today I'm gonna be talking about one of the most intense investigations conducted by Ed and Lorraine Warren, which is the haunting of the Smurl family in their duplex home at 330 Chase Street in West Pittston, Pennsylvania. Ooh, Pennsylvania. I know. I've done a lot of Pennsylvania lately. I had <laughs> um, a creepy state, all right? <laughs> beautiful, but creepy. Um, I hadn't heard about this case at all, um, but I was really excited when I started doing research. There's a lot of information out there, so I had a really... Um, it wasn't fun doing this research, but it was. I was very riveted the whole time. So, the Smurl family made up of parents Jack and Janet, older daughters Dawn and Heather, and younger twin daughters Karen and Shannon, and their German shepherd named Simon moved... Oh, I know. Simon. I know. I hope Simon makes it through. Well... Oh I don't think, no, I don't think he died. I didn't learn about any of that. Anyway. <laughs> oh Simon moved into their duplex home in West Pittston in 1974 after being forced out of their home in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania due to flood damage. Um, in a duplex, just for anyone who doesn't know, is basically like a... Um, it's like a two-set townhouse, mm-hmm. so you're sharing a wall with another home um, to give you just an image of what what their home looked like. And on the other side of their duplex were Jack's parents, John and Mary. The Smurls were devout Catholics, um, which is probably why they trusted Ed and Lorraine Warren to investigate their home, because the Warrens are religious demonologists. So they, I'll get into this later, but they, um, they approach their... Um, investigating with like a religious angle. So the Smurls were probably very interested in that and believed that that would help them. Um, and their strong Catholic faith also meant that they never delved into anything related to the occult. So no Ouija boards, which was good. Good. They, they never held seances. Um, they never fooled around with the supernatural in any way. So they were very much like um, described as this, like your typical wholesome, Suburban family. So Jack, which is the dad, um, he started a girls' basketball team in their neighborhood. He was also one of their daughter's softball coaches. Um, He worked a full-time job as a production manager at a chewing gum company. So that's fun. Um, The the daughters were really good in school. 
Janet didn't work and stayed home full time to run the house. So different kind of labor that often goes unrecognized. But they both they were like a fully functioning family unit, um, just like all around like they were described as, quote, like all American people. So just a really wholesome family. Nice. So that means, you know, some shit's going to go down with them. <laughs> can't be happy for too long. No, you really can't. Not in this world. No. <laughs> So when the Smurls moved into their duplex home, it was a bit of a fixer upper. Um, so they began doing small renovations like repainting old walls, um, general electric work and like your know, typical repairs, fixing, you know, broken um, banisters and things like that. And it was around this time that they started to do this work that the strange occurrences began. And at first, these things were more uh, benign and they were uh, events that the family could explain away pretty mm-hmm. easily without much concern. So That's like, how it always begins. I know. Oh my god, I know. Mundane. I know. Escalates. So some of these smaller things, like tools would go missing only to reappear in different places. And that's easy enough. I mean, that's easy enough to explain away. Like, oh, I picked up the hammer and forgot that I yeah, brought or somebody it here. moved it. Exactly. I mean, with a family of six people plus a dog, like, you know, there's gonna be a lot of chaos going on. Yeah. Stains on the walls that had been painted over um, would seep through coats of fresh paint. S- s- suspicious, but again, you could. <laughs> 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 oh my god! Sorry. Okay, so sus- <laughs> suspicious, but again, you could explain. Oh, maybe the paint wasn't thick enough. Yada right. yada. Uh, toilets would flush on their own. Um, weird odors would overwhelm the house, only to disappear moments later. Again, someone could have been farting. <laughs> But, you know, like electrical items would shut down without explanation. Oh, this one. Mm -mm. They would hear knocking in the walls, typically in patterns of three, which, as we know, is a mockery of the Holy Trinity. Um, If you believe in a Christian faith, that's what that's supposed to mean. So all these things on their own. Not too scary. Maybe if they're all happening in conjunction with one another, you're going to start to be like, what's going on with our house? So soon after these things started happening, they were starting to become pretty um, persistent and the family fell on hard times. So finances were pretty tight and Jack's mother, Mary, who lived next door, suffered a heart attack and she survived, but Mm. things started to really go downhill for this family pretty quickly. So as the family struggled to hold things together, the occurrences began to get worse, um, more unexplainable and pretty like feeling like they're like they're coming from a, a place of evil. It's so like feeding off of their negative energy yes. from like all their hard times that they're going through. I feel like that's a thing. Isn't it? It is. There's some movie that I'm thinking of where the dad is what movie is this? Where the dad is starting to get really negative and like snappy and angry and it's the demon feeding off of him. Why am I blinking on this? I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't about. know. I'll think about it later. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my well, gosh. Well, kind of like The Shining, but and whatever. Anyway, <laughs> so there's like a long list of stuff that started to happen. So I'm just going to go down through this list. Um, and keep in mind, as far as I could understand, this all happened before they contacted the Warrens. Because there was so much stuff that happened in this house, it was a little hard for me to piece together and there's so much information out there. It was hard for me to piece together exactly when things happened. Um, but I'm just going to run down the list. So Janet 
which is the the mom, and Mary, which was her mother-in-law, started to hear voices between the shared walls of their homes. Mm -hmm. So Janet could hear a voice that sounded like her mother-in-law calling out her name. And Mary swore that she heard Janet and Jack having screaming matches. But of course, anytime they heard these things, the, the opposite party wasn't home. Oh my God. So, yeah. So like the mother-in-law heard her, her son and wife arguing, but the family was like out. They were running errands or whatever. I know. I know. So that was that. Um, the family saw an ominous black mass slowly float across their home, through their shared wall, and into their grandparents' home. Mm, what? <laughs> yeah. I, it's just floating by. Um, one day, Janet was doing laundry in the basement when she heard their dog barking and decided to let him out into the yard. After letting the dog out, she closed the door and um, locked it. And no other doors in the house were open. No other windows were open or unlocked. So the dog is outside. House is locked. She goes back down to finish laundry. When she went to bring the laundry up to the bedrooms on the second floor, she felt the air turn really thick, like making it hard to breathe normally. Sort of like when you're walking Ooh. through really thick, humid air. Yeah. And you just like when feel you walk like, up into an attic. Yes. During, during like the dead of summer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the air is feeling really thick. Janet felt really threatened, so she left, went downstairs, and the minute she walked back down the stairs, her dog was sitting there waiting for her as if somebody had, or something, had let him in. Because all the doors were locked, they didn't have a doggy door, the windows were shut. Oh my god. So, something brought that dog back into the house. Whether, one of the websites was like, the dog must have, like, rematerialized i'm like i don't think the dog like it's adam's like disconnected and then it like rematerialized in the home i don't but think the dog can apparate no but something <laughs> let that dog back in the house oh my god the smurls also claimed that their dog was picked up by some invisible force and flung across their living room Aww, Simon. i know sad but it also kind of reminded me of that video that we had to watch that PETA video remember With at the, the arlington fair of the chickens being hit against the wall into the cage Oh, they were... Um, he was throwing oh. the chickens in the cage, and he missed the hole, and it went into the side of the cage. It wasn't funny. It was... <laughs> it wasn't funny. No, it wasn't funny. Nope. But that's, that's what that reminded me of. But also, obviously, much worse, because it's a lovely dog. Um, yeah, fuck chickens. <laughs> Jack and Jana purported that they had both been lifted off of their bed in a levitating state, similar to how in The Exorcist, um, when Reagan is fully possessed by the devil, she, like, levitates fully off oh, of her yeah. bed. And she's, yeah. like, splayed out as if she is, like, lying on the ground, but she's up in the air. Mm-mm. And then this is... This is where it gets really dark. I mean, there's a lot that's going on, but this is where it gets really dark. Um, Janet claimed that an incubus, which is a male demon that essentially rapes Is that like the male version of a succubus? Yeah. Which I didn't know that there were two. I didn't either. There there are two. So an incubus is the the male version. Okay. Uh, Janet claimed that an incubus visited her in the middle of the night and molested her. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. I know. She was in bed with Jack at the time and Jack saw something at the foot of their bed that he later realized was a, a demon figure. He saw it um, crawl up her leg, and they didn't say what happened after that, but 
he was like in bed with her when that happened. And then the same thing happened to Jack, but with a succubus, which is a, a female demon who rapes and sexually attacks men. Um, he, Jack was sitting in his living room watching TV and getting ready to go to bed when he saw a beautiful, mysterious looking woman walking slowly down the stairs and he like fell into some sort of trance and was like really mesmerized by her. But as she claimed came closer, her face transformed into a skeletal face with rotting teeth. I was kind of envisioning like a, like a dementor almost Mm -hmm. like, you know, just a black hole, but like you can tell it's rotting and disgusting. Um, the succubus attacked Jack, um, leaving him covered in what Ed Warren described as a slime that he then described as being like of sexual nature. So interpret that how you want. Ew. Um, the neighbors confirmed that something had happened that night because they could hear Jack's screams from their house. Was he home alone? No. Oh my God. Um, this happened to Jack six times. And the first time that it happened, his teenage daughter, Dawn, witnessed it. And she was so afraid that she went into her parents' bedroom in the middle of the night, like, consistently because she was so scared that it was going to happen to her dad again. And she saw him, like, completely lose control to this demon. I know. I know. I can't believe those even exist. Like, it's terrifying. I know. Oh, my God. So, (sighs) yeah. That, I think, for the rest, that is the worst, most intense thing that happened. So from from here on out, from my story, it's just, it's dark, but it's not that dark. So Ed and Lorraine Warren say that succubuses and incubuses don't get pleasure out of their attacks, and they believe that they do it as an insult to the birth cycle of Jesus Christ and God. So, like, how Mary was, like, in the Christian belief system, Mary was a virgin who um, became pregnant with Jesus. Like the Holy Spirit came down and like she was pregnant with Jesus. Mm-hmm. It seems like this is like a like a bastardization of that. So this so other spirit that is a demon is coming and like sexually attacking you. And yeah, it's like mocking that whole. Okay. Um that is wild. I know. And I also, it could probably also mean that, like, in the Christian faith, mar- sex is supposed to happen between, in the confines of marriage with your, you know, soul partner. And so this, these demons come to you to, like, violate, violate that, that. Um, <clears throat> yeah. that, like, agreement that you have with your spouse or your partner. Just really, like, awful stuff. Oh, I know. But um, moving on from all of that. One of the Smurl daughters, um, I couldn't figure out which one it was, but she was preparing for her holy confirmation, um, which is a rite in the Catholic. Did you get confirmed or is it just a Catholic thing? No, I did. I did, did. but, um, okay, so it's a I had to go to like con- confirmation classes. Yeah. Did you so, have to do that too? Yeah. Yeah. But do you have a, do you have a, um, confirmation name? No. Cause you guys don't Actually, have, I don't do remember. you guys have saints? Yeah. I don't go to St. George's Episcopal Church. Shout oh, out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to choose a confirmation name? Maybe I did, but I don't remember. I don't think so. Oh I mean, my name's Elizabeth, Elizabeth. so my she's in the Bible. My confirmation name is Cecilia. She's the patron saint of musicians. And we had to do, like, homework and, like, write essays on our patron saints. During one of my confirmation classes, a homeless man started peeing on the window. <laughs> 
also that was that's like my that's one memory. That's my memory <laughs> from confirmation. Oh my gosh, we had to do so much work for confirmation. It was like that's like a lot, but I will say it's nothing. So sorry, just getting back to the description. If you're not familiar, so confirmation is a right in not just the Catholic Church, I guess, but in like Christian religion where you declare yourself as like a, a full believer in the church's teachings. It's kind of similar to like a bar or bat mitzvah, although those require f- far more work. And it's like much more of, I think a celebration ceremony when you have that completed, but you're like 13. So one of the daughters was preparing for her Holy confirmation as a Catholic family. This was like a really big milestone for them. Uh, she came into the family's kitchen, excited about her confirmation and talking about looking forward to going to church. Not relatable. Um, <laughs> and in their kitchen is a huge light that was really heavily bolted into the ceiling's beams. Out of nowhere, the light started to shake, tore itself loose, and came crashing down onto their daughter, cutting her in the process. Oh, my God. And as I mentioned earlier, the Smurls um, had had problems with electricity before. Like I was saying, their appliances would short out. Um, things would, like, you know, catch fire electrically with no explanation. Jack's father was a professional electrician who did all the electrical renovation work on their duplex. So like, there's no reason why a professional would have like installed light fixtures that were so unstable. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like this demon didn't like that. She was getting ready to do her holy confirmation and like profess her belief in God. God. And so he was literally trying to physically like stop her from going to church by cutting her with a light. So did I ever tell you that when I was in my old, old room, um, the, the, my, the upstairs yes. one, um, you know how like some light fixtures have like that, not glass, but like it's almost like ceramic cover, you know, yes. in my house. Yeah. You remember that? Mm-hmm. I was in there once. I can't remember with who it fell off and caught my arm. <gasps> oh my God. Cause it like, I guess when it fell, maybe when it hit my arm, it like broke and then it cut, cut it. There was Ew. like a, like a line of blood across it like that. Oh my god! I Are never, you? I never thought it could have been a um, a demon. A demon. Are but you a Smurl daughter? No, no, I'm I'm a Uhas daughter. Oh, that's cool too. <laughs> <laughs> wow, did it hurt really bad? No, I think I was more so shocked when it happened because it happened so fast, and I looked down and my arm was bleeding. Ew. Can you handle the sight of your own blood? Because I can't handle the sight of my own blood, but other people's. I mean, blood if I scratch me. myself, yes. But like the f- few weeks ago, when I went to the doctor and I got my blood taken for the first oh. time, I couldn't watch it be being done. Wait, that was the first time you've got your blood drawn ever since I was born in the <gasps> hospital. Yes. No. Yes, correct. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh See, when you have physicians and nurses as parents, like they make you get your blood drawn every single year because they're like, you have to. And I'm like, oh my yeah, God, I hate it so much. Yeah. So that was my first time. Wow. Isn't it awful? It, it wasn't. It wasn't terrible. Like, oh God. Um, I thought it was gonna be like I couldn't look at it coming out of me. I had yeah. to like look. And the the nurse who was taking it was really good at like keeping me in conversation because I told her it was my first time. She's like, "You're doing great." <laughs> Didn't pass out. So, oh my God. no, thank you. I couldn't. I don't think I could give. Blood. And it was also hard because it was like in the lab where there's multiple stations like right next to each other and so there was a bunch of screaming children sitting oh, next no. to me getting their blood taken no, no, no. so it was a lot <laughs> that sounds terrible so anyway she was cut by a demon yeah she was cut by a demon trying to stop her from professing her faith in jesus and god and so finally after get this 
12 years oh my god of this shit happening in their house ranging from the benign to the hostile like to downright getting sexually assaulted by a demon yes 12 years nowhere in my research could i find any explanation as to why it took them 12 years to reach the end of the rope that 12 years like if there was uh, some sort of being coming into my home and assaulting me and my significant other yes and i'd be scared for my child like no goodbye i know and maybe like they didn't have the financial means i I mean that's possible i i did say that they fell on hard times but like i I would go stay with family at that point i would too but for anyway for some reason they they endured had to endure 12 years of this before they finally contacted ed and lorraine warren who visited the home for the first time on january 17th 1986 and while the Smurls um, were devout, devout Catholics and were drawn to the Warrens' religious approach to their investigations, they were initially really hesitant to reach out to them because they knew that an investigation performed by the Warrens would bring unwanted media attention and public yeah. scrutiny, which when your home is infested with demons, like, you don't have to deal with that on top of all of it, too. Remind me, what year is this happening? Or, like, what this year is, do they finally call in the Warrens? So they finally, they moved into that house in 1974. Okay. And they called Ed and Lorraine in 1986. So that's after both the parents, which is the first conjuring, that's after their investigation of them and that's also after the investigation of the second conjuring wow and the third i'm pretty sure so that's like they're like yeah they're big yeah <laughs> wow i should i really should have looked up a timeline of their, All their investigations yeah i should do that after this um yeah so that makes perfect sense as to why they'd be slightly concerned to attach their names to ed and lorraine warren even though their work is important but that's how desperate they were So the Warrens use a tactic called religious provocation, which basically involves doing things that will anger the devil. And all of this stuff I got, I found an interview between um, Ed and Lorraine and some person who interviewed them specifically about the Smurl case. And this is what they said in this article. They may have like other descriptions for the kind of work that they do. Like, I don't know when you were doing your research. Does that sound right? Like religious provocation. Interesting. I feel like they would suggest not provoking the devil (laughs) so that's why i was i was confused but in this interview maybe it's case by case it probably is um so i I just know that lorraine warren is like very anti ouija board and that sort of thing oh they didn't do any of that stuff yeah yeah so i feel like that's like kind of adjacent to provoking a spirit you know right but they so they basically did things that would anger the devil by using like holy water, crucifixes, prayer, um, okay. like commanding in God's name. Okay, so more no, of like, that, that seems yeah. more on yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they explained, and maybe this is again specific to this um, certain case, but they said the whole point is to provoke the devil or demon into an outward manifestation, so that it shows them what it can really do and just how powerful it is, so that they know what they're dealing with. So like, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they did that for this case because it had been going on for so long and it was clearly so intense. Like they wanted to make sure that if they were investigating this thing and like trying to fight against it, that they had it at its full power because 12 years. And I mean, that's just a lot. So during the afternoon of their first visit to the Smurl house, while they were invoking, they were doing the religious provocation stuff. So 
prayers, holy water, you know, rosaries, crucifixes. Um, this was in the Smurls' living room. Objects on a nearby dresser started to rattle and shake. Heavy doors started to swing wildly open and shut. And the TV screen, the TV, which was unplugged, um, its screen lit up in a bright white static. Mm-hmm. And nope. in, yeah, I know. And in the long hallway by the master bedroom, Ed was saying prayers to provoke the demon. He felt an unknown presence grab him, pressure, grab him around the neck and throw him down the hallway and onto the bed. It was only when holy water was thrown onto him that he felt the pressure release and he was able to get up on his own. Wow. I know. And then one night when driving back to their home in Connecticut after visiting the Smurl family, Ed and Lorraine were exiting the George Washington Bridge heading on to the Henry Hudson Parkway. So they're driving home after this one of their initial sort of investigative visits. When out of nowhere, a car ahead of them makes a complete U-turn on the pavement and starts driving towards their car head on. The Warrens swerved, clipping the other car and sending them careening onto the grass. And if they hadn't swerved in time, they absolutely would have been dead. And the Warrens believed that this was the devil threatening them for interfering with the Smurl home and trying to make sure that they never visited again. Oh, my God. I know. I can't imagine a car driving right at you head on. No. I think I would freeze. Like, I don't know that my instincts would kick in. I think I'd Well, it depends so how far away it is, I guess. Yeah, they didn't say how far away. But it sounds but, like it oh wasn't that far if they only just were barely able to swerve. Yeah. But, like, do you think that means that the devil or the demon or whatever that's terrorizing the smurls like possessed that driver or the car or something i don't know probably or like at least aligned their paths like that's crazy that crazy that it's that powerful of an entity to like warp time and space (sighs) i know (laughs) this case is scary um so all of this activity left the smurl family wondering like why us like we're just a normal family why are you doing this to us um and the Warrens believed that the Smurl family were the chosen ones. Um, what? And so, like Harry Potter? <laughs> not quite. Um, Ed said, quote, the chosen ones are people who are, who are very strong in their faith, and God feels that he can prove through them that when the devil attacks, that God wins out at the end. What happened here was that the attacks were so horrendous, I don't think most families could have ever gone through it. So. What a horrible thing to I do. I know. I like that doesn't sound like yeah, God. I like don't think that that's true, but that explanation made me feel very upset. Yeah, I don't think that's not my God. <laughs> yeah, I don't think a God would use his creation. I think as that's just the devil being the game. devil. Yeah. So, but I did want to throw that quote in there because I was like, that's like yeah a wild, that's a um a wild take to make. Yeah. So. The Warrens and the Smurls conducted group prayer sessions and exorcisms, but the attacks continued. Representatives from the Scranton area, a Roman Catholic church, visited the home to try and... Scranton, Pennsylvania? Yeah, Scranton. Oh, my God. Shout out Michael Scott. Yep. (laughs) Um, So representatives from the Roman Catholic church visited the home to try and determine what was causing the demonic occurrences. And even though multiple priests visited the home on several occasions, they reported experiencing no activity and one priest even moved in for two nights but left after witnessing nothing which is interesting my take is that the devil was like fucking with them or the right demon. no of course yeah so he was like because initially i was like oh like well if there's like a catholic priest that's gonna anger it but yeah i think it was fucking with them i think be, so too to make people not believe them mm-hmm 
Oh, also, sorry, side note, guys. When we went shopping today, since we're talking about exorcisms right now, <laughs> we got matching exorcist t-shirts at Abercrombie. Yes. And we're wearing them right now. Yeah, of course. So... If you want an exorcist, like the movie They're, poster. It's a great t-shirt. Yeah. It's, it's like, like very nice material. Mm-hmm. Feels perfectly worn in. And like the um, movie poster, like decals are kind of faded. Mm-hmm. It looks, it's great. Yeah. So, Good purchase. <laughs> yeah. Go to Abercrombie if you want one. But anyway, so we're saying they have these priests come by. There is no activity. Um, by this point, the Smurls family, the Smurl family's initial fears of Ed and Lorraine Warren bringing in unwanted media attention had come true. Reporters were constantly stopping by their front lawn. Neighborhood traffic jams would pop up when curious onlookers hoped to get a glimpse of the paranormal through their living room windows. And by 1986, so this is, I think, three, four, five months since Ed and Lorraine first visited and were conducting these sessions with them, helping them investigate. Um, So 12 years after moving into their home, the Smurls were finally at their wits end with the hauntings and the constant media scrutiny. Their lives were like no longer their Mm -hmm. own at this point. Um, They packed up their home and they moved out. And then in 1989, the Vatican heard of the Smurls suffering through then Cardinal Ratzinger, who would actually go on to serve as Pope Benedict XVI from 2005 to oh. 2013. I know. Oh my God. I was like, they didn't say that in the source, but I was like, who is this Cardinal Ratzinger? And then Pope Benedict came up and I was oh. like, wait a minute. It's the same guy. <laughs> wait a minute. So the, <laughs> the then Cardinal assigned an exorcist to go to the Smurl home and perform an exorcism on the home itself, which is extremely rare. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've heard of that, though. Yeah, yeah, because exorcisms are almost always performed on people and not on places or homes, but in this instance, they made an exception because the case was so severe and the hauntings were so persistent for so yeah, long. Yeah, I mean, so far from what you've said, it doesn't sound like it was possessing any one of the residents. Right. Right? It's, it's like, just like the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God. it was like in the home. Ed and Lorraine Warren report that since the exorcism took place, the house at 330 Chase Street in West Pittston, Pennsylvania, has remained inactive. Wait a minute. I left out part this a part of my notes. Why did you do that? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, let me try to recall this from memory. But there was supposed to be a part of my notes here where I talked about how Ed and Lorraine were able to determine that the house was home to four entities who were being controlled by one demon who was like using them as pawns to haunt them. That's like what happened in the second conjuring. Remember? Yes. I know. Oh my God. So one of the ghosts was an elder, was an elderly woman, a younger girl. And I think they believed that the younger female ghost was the easiest for the demon to manipulate. Oh so he God. was manipulating her. And there were two others. I think they might've been a couple of like older men. I cannot believe I left that out of here. I mean, you summed it up pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So, sorry, I meant to include that in my whole section about Ed and Lorraine investigating the home. They were able to draw those conclusions. So, the house was just fully infested. And yeah. then, on top of that, being controlled by a demon. Oh, my God. So. I can't believe they put up with that for 12 years. I can't, I can't Hell either. no. I know. I wonder if most of the time it was the benign stuff and so it was easy enough for them to live with but still all this stuff with the incubus and succubus i know that would make me want to move too but like you said if they didn't have the funds like maybe you just have to i don't know suffer suffer (laughs) until you can save enough money to move i don't know i wonder 
because I never read like about this when I'm looking at different investigations that the Warrens did. But like, were they paid for their services? I have, or do you think they like earned money from like all the lectures that they did and the books that they wrote and everything? I have no idea. I mean, I'm about to talk about a book in a second. I would imagine that they would do these services pro bono. I think so because well, I'm reading the Second Conjuring book right now. I know I could have finished it probably a long time ago, but after I got back from the beach. <laughs> been reading it as much um but i just got to the part where the warrants show up Mm -hmm. and they she hasn't said anything yet about them asking for money or anything i would i would imagine that they do it for free i think so too because i think like especially lorraine thinks like it's her calling you know yeah so and you're right i think they make plenty of money other ways yeah um but sort of related to this Unsurprisingly, the Smurl family relieved, received a lot of criticism and speculation during their years of suffering, with many people accusing them of fabricating the story for attention and for money. Um, it doesn't necessarily help these theories that the Smurl family, along with the Warrens, published a book detailing their experiences titled The Haunted, colon, One Family's Nightmare, which later got turned into a made-for-TV movie titled The Haunted. However, Karen, one of the Smurls' twin daughters, who today is a part-time paranormal investigator in addition to her full-time job, which I think is pretty cool, um, said in a 2016 article for the Pittston Progress, quote, We never made any money from the book or movie. Who would want to go through all of that media and public bashing? To the naysayers, I hope it doesn't take something as extreme as what we went through to make them believers. We wouldn't wish our experiences on anyone. And that is the story of the small family haunting. Oh my god! Isn't that That's crazy. Just crazy. Like, I really want to watch this movie. I couldn't find a place to stream it. So I, I wonder to, if you could buy it, it on more. Amazon or something. I probably could for like five dollars. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I really enjoyed researching for that one. Oh my god. The Smurl family. Smurl. Ugh, I'd feel so scared if I had kids, especially to protect, like myself or yeah. like myself and a partner. That's scary enough, but when you're responsible for your children, yeah, daily that's like safety. another reason I'm so shocked that they stayed so long. Because like I know, even if you can't afford it, like screw it, go you know find some other situation where you can like I know affordable housing, anything, stay with family, stay with stay on a friend's couch. I don't know, right? But like I I don't want to risk my kids, you know, getting attacked by all those yeah scary and i also think 12 years is an insanely long time to keep up some sort of lie about your house being brutally like in haunted like that's why i don't think this was faked necessarily i mean maybe they had embellished some stories but 12 years is just too long for people who seemed to be like working class worked full-time jobs like had to run their household like you don't have a lot of extra time to be like fabricating all this stuff and keeping it up for that long Mm -mm. so i believe it was real and it sounded just horrible yep lovely yeah (laughs) well there you go Okay, so moving on to my story. Greer says that she has no idea what it's going to be. Yeah, the, the subject matter has been redacted from our episode outline. <laughs> I know. I said, Betsy's story, to, to be announced <laughs> during episode. <laughs> but I definitely, there's a movie that is based on this investigation that I definitely used one of our shared streaming platforms to watch. So I was scared that you were going to see it no. in like the history and be like, oh, that's what she's covering. Wait, what platform? I'm not telling you because then no, you no, could but, figure it out. No, but I won't because I wasn't paying attention. What? I wasn't paying attention to things that have been recently watched. I've been watching Gilmore Girls. I know, but like you might know that this specific movie is on that platform. Oh, so I'm not going to say it. I'm not going <gasps> to say it. I'm not chancing it. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. So this story actually kind of combines the themes of our second and third episode because it involves demonic possession, but it also involves a cursed object. Okay. So actually, I'm going to read my sources first before I get into the, the, oh, the meat. Yeah, you yeah, forgot. Yeah, sorry, your- <laughs> guys. I have like 12 sources. That's okay. Wait. That's a lot. You always put it in, in the notes, so it's fine. But one of them, really quickly, sorry, it was a video. I found this girl on YouTube who talks about like hauntings or true crime stories. But while she is telling her story, she is on The Sims building like the houses where the things take place. Oh, my God. So it was a 10-minute video of her constructing the duplex where the Smurl family lived while like talking about oh, the whoa, investigation. That's- really cool it was very cool oh my god all right anyway <laughs> okay so the sources i used were a dummies.com article titled the most haunted objects in the world by zach baggins <laughs> not baggins as he pronounces it baggins like we pronounce it <laughs> oh actually some of these sources give away what it is so you know what i'll, I'll read them at the end i'll read them at the end wait but what if i don't know what it is and then you it's embarrassing because it says the movie and you're gonna know what it is <laughs> i promise you have i seen the movie no, you haven't. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> um, okay, so this story starts with the Glatzel family, and the cursed object is called the Devil's Rocking Chair. So this story takes us back into back in time to <laughs> 1980 Brookfield, Connecticut, which was the home of the Glatzel family, which consisted of Carl and Judy, who are the parents, Carl Jr., Debbie, and David, who Carl are the kids. Senior. Carl's Jr. <laughs> yeah. He started his restaurant business. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so it involves a haunted rocking chair, which was dubbed the Devil's Rocking Chair, um, passed on to the Glatzel family in the 1950s. It was just a simple piece of house furniture until the summer of 1980 when it became the center of a tragedy that struck the family. The sinister relic became a part of one of America's most notorious exorcisms, which involved two demonic possessions and eventual murder. It is believed that the chair quite literally was cursed by the devil. A murder? A murder! murder. (laughs) So going back to 1980, the Glatzels claimed that the paranormal activity began after they went to clean up a rental property that they had just acquired. So David, who was 11 at the time, claimed that an old man appeared, pushing and terrifying him. What? His parents thought that David had used the old man as an excuse to not clean, but David assured them that the man vowed to harm the Glatzels if they moved into the rental home. Oh my God. I mean, what would you do if your kid said that to you, though? You're not gonna, you're not gonna, like, break your lease. Like, shut the fuck up. No, I mean, you're not gonna break your lease. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, he's probably just, you know, Yeah. Well, they're gonna be sorry for it. Gotta listen to your kids, I guess. (laughs) Um, So David's visions increased, and he would see the old man appear as a demonic beast who muttered Latin and threatened to steal his soul. He appeared as a man with big black eyes, a thin face with animal features, jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns, and hooves. (gasps) Oh, so like... So like a full-on demon... Like, it was appearing as itself to this little boy. Oh, my God. Wasn't even trying to hide. No. That's awful. Although the family would hear strange noises coming from the attic, David was the only one who ever witnessed the old man. After David experienced night terrors, exhibited strange behavior, and obtained unexplained scratches and bruises, the family called upon the services of a Catholic priest who attempted to bless the house. Hmm. So David's visions continued to worsen, and he was now experiencing them during the day, and only 12 days had passed since the original incident when the family decided to summon demonologists Ed and Lorraine Warren to assist. Isn't that... Wait, that's so weird. Yours was 12 12 years, years, and this one was 12 days. 
these people have a bit more sense. Sorry, Smurl family. I mean, this is like happening directly to their child, though. I feel like that's true. You know, I mean, I'm sure those kids were also terrorized too, but like not solely, I guess. Yeah, they 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 weren't targeted. They weren't its sole target, I guess. So he would see the beast sitting in the family's rocking chair, which the beast now claimed as its own. And David and later Lorraine Warren were the only ones who saw the beast in the chair, but family members often saw it rocking back and forth, seemingly under its own power. Ew. So they would see it moving, but like wouldn't oh, see the actual entity that was oh, in it. The child could see but it. But the child could see it, and Lorraine, who we know is yes. a, like a psychic medium. The chair itself moved about the house on its own, mysteriously disappearing Stop. and reappearing in different places. And most incredibly, it levitated on numerous occasions in full view of witnesses, including the Warrens, clergy members, and shocked family members. Oh, my God. And it happened once while David was sitting in it during an exorcism. (gasps) Levitation. Oh, my gosh. Lorraine allegedly witnessed a black mist materialize next to David, which is an apparent indication of a malevolent presence. Oh, like that, that black... The thing in the... Mass, the I guess, or whatever yeah, they said it was. They said it black was. mass. Yeah. So Judy, who's the mom, and Debbie, his sister, told Lorraine that they had seen David being beaten and choked <gasps> by invisible hands and that red marks had appeared on his neck afterward. Oh, my... So he, he just, to them, they just saw him being kind of, like, flung yeah. around. And he was... Yeah, and probably, like, lifted up by his <gasps> neck. And they could probably see the mark, like, the Oh, my God, marks. yeah, the forming on his... Yeah. Neck. Oh, my God. Like, the bruising. Yeah. David had started to growl, hiss, speak in otherworldly voices, and recite passages from the Bible or Paradise Lost. Oh, which I love is, Paradise Lost. Yeah, but it's interesting because in the movie that this is based upon, when Ed and Lorraine are trying to figure out if this one person um, is possessed by the demon, mm-hmm. they have him read Bible verses uh-huh. um, and he can read them fine. And they're like, then he's not currently possessed. He might've been possessed, but he's not currently possessed because he was ab- able to read the Bible. So it's interesting that this source was saying that David would recite passages from the Bible, even though like if he's, if he's being possessed. Yeah. But then it's the Bible and paradise lost. So you've got like two sides of the same coin. Yeah. It's very interesting. So the Glatzels said each night a family member would remain awake with David as he suffered through spasms and convulsions. That's so sad. How old is he? 11. He's a baby. After receiving a prognosis of multiple possessions from the Warrens, David was subjected to three quote-unquote lesser exorcisms. Lorraine asserts that David levitated, ceased breathing for a time, and even demonstrated the super demonstrated the supernatural ability of precognition, which is seeing or becoming directly aware of events in the future. Whoa. How did they determine that? Like, he was just predicting stuff? Specifically oh. to the manslaughter oh. that would occur later. <gasps> Shut up. hmm Oh. <laughs> yeah. Wait. No, don't say anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Warrens continued to make regular visits to their home, bringing more priests with them to perform exorcisms. And many of these exorcisms took place while David was seated in the rocking chair. Intentionally? Or he was just sitting there? I think, like, when he was being possessed by... Because remember, the beast, like, claimed that rocking chair as its own. He would, like, sit in it and, like, rock in it. In October 1980, the Warrens contacted Brookfield police to warn them that the situation was becoming dangerous. At the start of David's torment, when things were still relatively mundane, Debbie asked her boyfriend... Arnie Johnson to come stay with the family to see if it would help bring David out of his depression because I think they were really close Mm -hmm. like him and his sisters 
um, boyfriend, and he had agreed, but things did not improve. And as David's condition had worsened, Debbie and Arnie, who had been living in Debbie's mom's house, decided that they needed to move. Debbie was hired by Alan Bono, who was a new resident in Brookfield, as a dog groomer, and Debbie and Arnie began renting an apartment close to her workplace. And according to eyewitness testimony, when things started to take a turn for the worst, Arnie had coerced one of the demons against the warnings from the Warrens, supposedly within David, to possess him while participating in David's exorcism. So he was like, leave that kid alone. Like, take me. (gasps) Idiot. Oh, my God. After moving into their new apartment, Arnie started to exhibit odd behavior that was strikingly similar to David's, causing Debbie to fear that he had become possessed as well. And according to Debbie, Arnie who Arnie would fall into trance-like states wherein he would growl and hallucinate but later have no memory of it. Oh my god. It's and it's unclear how soon after this occurred, but Arnie returned to the rental property to examine an old well that supposedly housed the demon. And I don't I also don't really know how he knew that the demon oh, I just hit the mic. I don't know how he knew that the demon was in this well. Maybe mm-hmm. because he was being terrorized by it and, and he like, like had a he like sense. had a psychic connection with it. Yeah. Um, according to Arnie's personal account, this was his final encounter with the demon while complete, while completely lucid after encountering the demon at the well and making eye contact with it, he became possessed. So on February 16th, 1981, Arnie called in sick to his job at Wright tree service and joined Debbie at the kennel where she worked along with his sister, Wanda and Debbie's nine-year-old cousin, Mary Alan Bono, Arnie and Debbie's landlord and Debbie's boss Uh, bought the group lunch at a local bar and proceeded to drink heavily. After lunch, the group returned to the kennel, and Debbie then took the girls to get pizza, but insisted that they return quickly, anticipating trouble, because, like, her boss was, like, belligerent at this point, and she knew that Arnie had been acting weird, so (laughs) she wanted to get back quickly. When they returned, Alan had become belligerent, and he seized Mary and refused to let go. Arnie came to her defense, ordering Alan to leave her alone. His sister, Wanda, recounted the following events to the police. Mary ran for the car as Debbie attempted to mitigate the situation by standing between the two men. Wanda tried in vain to pull Arnie away, and Arnie began growling like an animal and then drew a five-inch pocket knife and stabbed (gasps) Alan repeatedly. Oh, my God. Alan died several hours later, and according to Arnie's lawyer, Alan had suffered, quote, four or five tremendous wounds, mostly to his chest, and one that stretched from his stomach to the base of his heart. God. Arnie was discovered two miles away from the site of the killing and was held at the Bridgeport Correctional Center on bail of $125,000. This was the first unlawful killing in the history of Brookfield, Connecticut, and these two documented possessions and subsequent murder would inspire the production of the critically acclaimed film The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do Bitch, It. Bitch, I knew it! I knew it! Wow. <laughs> when did you figure it out? When, oh God, when did I interrupt you? Mm, I don't remember. Oh, oh, um, when. You said like the prediction of oh, the future manslaughter. Yes, he predicted that the yes. manslaughter would occur. And that was this, the 11 year old predicted yes. that. Yes, and then when Arnie had the demon go into yes. him and he was possessed, then he ended up killing his landlord. Is that considered manslaughter? Because, well, I guess you're probably going to go into the trial. Yes. But, okay. So mm-hmm. I'll hold my questions. Okay. <laughs> So yes, now we are going to get into the trial of Arnie Johnson. So the day after the killing, Lorraine Warren informed the Brookfield police that Arnie was possessed when the crime was committed. <laughs> I'm just like imagining the, the police getting I this know. call. But is Brookfield near where the Warrens live? 
Yeah, so I think they live in New England somewhere, so it's close by. Okay, I think yeah. they're from, my thing said Connecticut, so I bet yeah. the police, like, know who these people are. Yeah, actually, know? I'll get into it, but Lorraine, like, would actually help them in their investigations That's occasionally. so cool. Yeah. A media blitz soon surrounded the story, fueled in part by the Warrens, whose agents promised that lectures, a book, and a movie detailing the gruesome case were in the works. Martin Manella, Arnie's lawyer, received calls from all over the world about what was being called the, quote, demon murder trial. Manella ended up traveling to England to meet with lawyers who had been involved in two similar cases, though neither went to trial. He planned to bring in exorcism specialists from Europe and threatened to subpoena the priests who oversaw David Glatzel's exorcisms if they did not cooperate with the defense. The trial took place in Connecticut's Superior Court in Danbury, beginning October 28, 1981. Manila attempted to submit a plea of not guilty by virtue of possession, but the presiding judge, Robert Callahan, promptly rejected this defense. Callahan argued that no such defense could ever exist in a court of law due to the lack of evidence and that it would be, quote, irrelative and unscientific to allow related testimony. Hmm. The defense chose to imply that Arnie acted in self-defense. Because of this, the jury was not legally allowed to consider demonic possession as a viable explanation for the killing. The jury deliberated for 15 hours over three days before convicting Arnie on November 24th, 1981 of first-degree manslaughter. And on December 18th, 1981, he was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison, though he only served five. So I guess, like, they couldn't prove that he was possessed, obviously, but it's not, like, um, first-degree murder. It's just manslaughter because he was maybe... Not in the the right state of mind. Correct. So where is he now? I'll get into it. We're going to get into the aftermath (laughs) of this whole trial. So the incident led to the creation of the television film titled The Demon Murder Case on NBC and the production for a feature film, the production of which was stalled due to internal conflicts. In 1983, Gerald Brittle, with the assistance of Lorraine Warren, published a book about the incident entitled The Devil in Connecticut. Lorraine Warren states that, or stated that that the profits from the book were shared with the family. And sources confirmed that $2,000 was paid to the family by the book publisher, which seems kind of low. That does seem really low. What would $2,000 be in the 80s, though? Like today? Yeah. I mean, it's that still seems like a very low amount to me. Yeah. Like, you would think they would get royalties or something from book sales, not right. just a handoff, you know? I think so, too. Uh-huh. Um Upon the book's republication in 2006 by iUniverse, David Glatzel and his brother Carl Glatzel Jr. sued the authors and book publishers for violating their right to privacy, libel, and, quote, intentional infliction of emotional distress. Carl also claimed that the book alleged he committed criminal and abusive acts against his family and others. And Carl claimed the possession story was a hoax concocted by Ed and Lorraine Warren to exploit the family and his brother's mental illness and that the book presented him as the villain because he did not believe in the supernatural claims. He asserted that the Warrens told him the story would make the family millionaires and would help get Arnie out of jail. And according to Carl Jr., the publicity generated by the incident forced him to drop out of school and lose friends and business opportunities. Oh, that's so sad. In 2007, he began writing a book titled Alone Through the Valley about his version of the events surrounding his brother. Lorraine Warren, though, did defend her work with the family, claiming that the six priests who were involved in the incident agreed at the time that the boy was possessed and that the supernatural events she described were real. 
Brittle, the guy who wrote the previously mentioned book, The Devil in Connecticut, says he wrote the book because, quote, the family wanted the story told, that he possesses video of over 100 hours of his interviews with the family, and that they signed off on the book as accurate before it went to print. Carl Glatzer Sr., David's dad, denies telling the author that his son was possessed. So there's like a lot of conflicting... Yeah. I think... I think the divide is between the family members who want to forget and move on. Right. And then the family members who were like Debbie and Arnie, who were like directly, um, you know, impacted by all that. Not to say that they weren't all directly impacted, but like, I mean, Arnie was heckin' possessed. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, Most But it seems like David also is one that wants to move on. But like, he was so young. Like, yeah. I would want to move on too. I would too. Damn. So where are they now? The family seems to have moved on from the tragic string of demonic incidences that took place from 1980 to 1981. Carl Jr. is reportedly working as a contractor and is happily married. There are no known details about David's current whereabouts, but Carl has claimed in the past that he's doing well and has moved beyond the alleged mental health issues that plagued him as a child. Arnie and Debbie actually got married while he was in prison and were happily oh. married until Dabby, <laughs> Dabby, <laughs> until Debbie sadly passed away from an unspecified form of cancer. Oh, that's sad. And apparently even Arnie is doing well now, looked, looking to move beyond his past mistakes. So what about the rocking chair? Yeah. Did you forget about the rocking chair? I did, actually. <laughs> so for many years after the horrifying events of 1980, the rocking chair remained in storage. When the Glatzel family later moved, it went with them. However, over time, it became apparent that there was something very wrong with the chair. Whoever sat in the chair, whether innocently or because they knew its strange history, were suddenly stricken with incapacitating sciatica or abnormal back problems. What is sciatica? It's like, I think it's like a pinched nerve. Oh, oh, that's awful. Yeah. You better not sit I, in that chair. I would never, ever chance that shit with my back problem. <laughs> I'd never be able to walk again. <laughs> Some were so bad that they required surgery, and one close family member was unable to walk upright for more than 10 years after testing the legend of the chair. Stop. Ugh. And in April 2019, strangely hours before the death of Lorraine Warren, none other than Zach Baggins no. purchased the chair for $67,000 no. for his haunted museum, which he has um, a haunted museum with 30 spooky rooms and winding corridors in a reputedly haunted 1938 mansion in Vegas, I believe. 30 spooky rooms? <laughs> yeah, and he bought this thing of to put it in there. And there are stains on the original cushion from holy water and blessed oils that were part of the exorcisms conducted by Catholic priests and Ed Warren. Oh my gosh. Even before it was on display, it was already causing problems in the building. Soon after it arrived, doors at the museum began shutting themselves and locking. Light switches physically turned off. Classic. It created terrible tension between staff members in the area before the chair was... Oh, where the chair was stored. And Zach heard from the shipper who picked up the rocking chair from the Glatzel house. And he told Zach that he was plagued by terrible nightmares after coming into contact with it. Oh, my gosh. By June... So he bought the chair in April. Mm -hmm. And by June, Zach had already closed the exhibit. <gasps> Oh, my God. This is the first time that he had ever closed an exhibit at his museum due to paranormal activity. Wow. The exhibition house houses a wide variety of notoriously haunted items, but the chair caused concerning reactions in at least six of Baggins' museum guests. Quote, six people all shared the same disturbing, uncontrollable crying during the short time I opened the exhibit. 
one of them being a guest who also collapsed directly above, above the devil's rocking chair on the stairs. And then while visitor reactions to haunted objects aren't entirely uncommon at the museum, ambulances have been called more than once in the past. The rocking chair triggered a chain of emotional reactions, even a terrifying experience that met Baggins and a friend in his own Las Vegas home. Quote, me and a friend felt an evil presence move between us as we were sitting down in my living room, which then caused my dog to growl. I then became very affected, began speaking strange things about God and Satan with my head down. And then my friend began to cry uncontrollably and literally ran out of my house. End quote. And it's unclear if the exhibit will ever be reopened. So I don't even know where this chair is now. So by closed, do you think that means he got rid of it? Either that or like they just like rope off that area and don't let people near it. Or something. I've always wondered. I know it's probably a lot of like blessings and stuff like that, but how haunted museums like that, or like the the room where the Warrens kept all of their objects, like yeah, how they're do a cult you? Museum. Yeah, how does that not seep out like into the world? I know. Around it? I know. It's. I don't know because like also some of the like paranormal instances that he was talking about. I feel like they don't necessarily tied directly to the chair like they could like lights turning on and off i feel like could be caused by a number of yeah haunted objects that are in his right exhibition unless it's like it, it may it made it seem like this was like in its own room so maybe if it was like mm-hmm. in the same area then you could tie it to that specific object but yeah um crazy and so i did watch the devil made me do it was it good it when i tell you i was like <gasps> no really <laughs> like Scene one. Oh my because God. it start like the movie starts with David Glatzel's exorcism. Oh shit. And like you know in those scenes, like the body is always like breaking and like <gasps> yeah, it was like a tiny it. little eleven year old boy. Yeah, it was awful. Oh my god. It was crazy. And then like once like Arnie was in jail and everything, they started doing flashback scenes to how it manifested and everything and like mm-hmm. his first encounters with the d- demon and everything. So I will say out of the three Conjuring movies that are out already, this one, I think, took the most creative liberties. So in real life, it can be kind of be tied to the rocking chair, right? Like if saying that this rocking chair was cursed by the devil and like that's what this beast was manifesting in, right? There was no rocking chair in the movie. And the reasoning for the the possession and like all the terrorization and everything was that so Lorraine actually like crawls she there's like a crawl space under the house mm-hmm. she goes under there and finds a witch's totem oh and it looked like that thing that we found in spirit halloween today with the ram oh it looked like yes. that it was like a, a little mini like ram skull mm-hmm. and like she had like it, it had stuff on it that made it look like a totem per se i guess um and they later find out that it's like a symbol for this group called the disciples of the Ram. And basically, um, she finds similar cases in different areas of new England where this, witch's totem had been found and like, um, reported on in these like missing person cases. And basically they figure out that there's this woman who is, it's almost like, um, a voodoo doll she's using these witches totem witches 
totems to like conjure these demons that possess people and then she uses those people to kill somebody to as a sacrifice to this demon wow and that's like that's her like, deal that she has with the devil is that she sac- like uses those to sacrifice some innocent else. person to give to this demon. That's like a very involved thing. And neither does the disciples of the ram or this person, this occultist, are real. Like I looked into it. Like the other case that they used um, to tie to um, the murder that Arnie Johnson committed mm-hmm. Um, was this case in Danvers, Massachusetts, which is, which is interesting because I was actually listening to Hot Ghoul podcast the other day, shout out Carrie and Renee, um, of one of their, their cases that they covered, which was the murder of Colleen Ritzer, and that took place in Danvers. Oh, shit. And so, like, I had just listened to that, and then I watched this, and I was like, mm. Danvers? Oh, my God, this, this like, town is very cursed. <laughs> cursed. But then I looked into it more, and... It was not, like, those people were not real. It was not a real case. But um, there was a rash of murders in Connecticut in the 80s that The Conjuring 3 could have drawn inspiration from. So during that era, the satanic panic had gripped Mm -hmm. the U.S. and Mm -hmm. fear-mongering tactics had people blaming the devil for every act of evil. And with groups like the Manson family making newspaper headlines, satanic cults became the newest boogeyman in town. And with the number of serial killers peaking in the U.S. in the 1980s, many began to attribute the killings to the workings of demons and their worshipers. And there is one part of the... Um, so the character who was missing that that occultist had used to kill another girl. Her name was Jessica Louise Strong. And there is one part of that case in The Conjuring 3 that is true. And that is Lorne... Lorraine Warren's involvement with the police and using her abilities to help them in their case. Um, she would lend her abilities to the police multiple times throughout her career. In the 1980s, Lorraine helped police on multiple missing person case- cases, a move that helped her and her abilities gain notoriety across the country. So while the Jessica Strong case itself might not be true, The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It uses it as a chance to give a nod to Lorraine's real-life contributions to the police. Hmm. And that is the story of the exorcism of David Glatzel and Arnie Johnson and the subsequent murder of Alan Bono and the Devil Made Me Do It trial. Wow. My sources were the Dummies.com article titled The Most Haunted Objects in the World by Zach Baggins, a Screen Rant article titled What Happened to Jessica Strong, Conjuring Three Case True Story by Emily Clute. Newsweek article titled Zach Baggins Closes Devil's Rocking Chair Exhibit After Museum Haunts Chilling Encounter in His Home by Kelly Wynn. A Distractify article, The Glatzel Family is Trying to Distance Itself from The Conjuring 3 by Chris Barilla. And of course, Wikipedia. I love Wikipedia. I use it every <laughs> yeah. time. That was yeah. great. Now I really want to watch this movie. Did you watch it during the nighttime? No, I watched it during the day. So I, it's still like, I was able to sleep that night. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was still like the opening music, like you've seen the Conjuring movies. So like, you know, it's like that very like, <laughs> I don't know how to better describe it. It's no, very I think I know exactly. What you mean. And yes. um, off putting and it jarring. had me in a jarring and it had me in a chokehold. I was like, oh my God. And like constantly gasping. And there's this one scene where <laughs> the demon is like, 
haunting little David and he chases him into like he gets scared and he runs into his bathroom and he goes into the tub and he looks up and you can see these like blackened fingers like oh, just no. sitting there on the on the rod like on top of the shower curtain oh that's awful but they like kind of blend in with like the shower rod mm-hmm. and I could see it I was like no 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 and it was like one of those scenes where he's just like little boy is like looking around and he like doesn't know what's gonna happen and it's just silent that sounds like in hereditary (laughs) when i forget what part of the movie this is but when the mom is like up in the corner of naked brother's bedroom and it's like dark (laughs) naked brother and it's like dark and you don't see her at first but then you notice her and you're like why the fuck is she on the ceiling because she's like kind of blending in that stuff is when you when you are responsible for noticing the thing that's before the other characters that's when it's so scary because you're like it's gonna jump out at him at some point i know and like i can see it yeah so i'm glad it was good i was worried that it wasn't gonna be a good movie it was really good was really good for sure but i was kind of disappointed that a lot of it was fake yeah it wasn't real but like they had to they had to tie it to like this overarching story yeah i guess yeah the rocking chair would have been i think more interesting yeah although the second conjuring they had a haunted chair do you remember that Oh, where the old man was sitting in? Yeah, yeah. that's where he died. <laughs> I need to rewatch the second one. The second one is my favorite. All I remember is the thing on the, like, dresser, or whatever that is, the, like, coat cupboard, remember, on the top? Mm. That's, like, what I remember the most about that movie. That's the first one. Oh. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> Well, what's the, second the second one is like, my name is Bill Oh, Wilkins. Yes. oh this is the Enfield one, right? Years the, old. Yes, a, the Enfield pol- poltergeist. Yes. Okay. And well, the first that's the first one with the nun in it. Oh, yeah. okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The nun was such a letdown. Yeah, the nun sucks. Don't watch it. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> All right. That's my story <laughs> for this week. I had a lot of fun and... I feel like I I've been trying to get to the same level of my of my third episode story oh with my the, the Crone of the Catskills and I feel like that got pretty close. I don't know if it tops it, but I agree. But Crone of the Catskills, that story was I just I was so insane. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to episode three, go listen to that because it's it's wild. Yeah. My story is like like pretty good. I mean, fine. the hands resist him is, but that is yeah, a crazy Betsy's story too. story on the Crone of the Catskills is like actually yeah. fucking insane. Cursed objects. Check it out. Uh, well, but yeah. I also feel like as we're getting into spooky season, like we did need to have one intense, like really intense episode. So yeah, for sure. I think it was well worth yeah. the discomfort that it brought. I mean, they're going to keep being pretty intense too. So, you know, yes. if you're into that and I feel like if this is the 10th episode that you're listening to then you you're probably into it yeah you're, you're <laughs> fine so all right well that brings us to our paranormal protection tip of the week All right, our tip this week is to leave your bathroom lights turned on at night. Damp and dark places are favorite hangouts of the undead, so your bathroom is going to be a top spot for a ghost party. Everyone knows that ghosts hate bright lights, so if you leave the lights on in the bathroom, the spirits will probably find your room inhospitable and leave. That's perfect because I already leave my bathroom lights on at night anyway. So she, that, she get lost trying to find the bathroom. I know. I'm not trying to bang into any walls no. and bruise my forehead. Absolutely not. It's also interesting because <laughs> I'm going to talk about the Conjuring books a lot on this podcast. <laughs> so just deal with it. But when they first moved into the house, the previous owner told them to leave on all of their lights on at night. Oh, my God. No explanation. That's horrible. No context. Just leave. leave. Uh, and actually, it was to, directly to the to the dad. He was like, 
if I can give you any, any advice, leave the, oh, for the sake of your kids. That's what he said. What the fuck? For the sake of your kids, leave your lights on at night. And that's all he said. And the dad was just like, um, okay. Could you imagine seeing a house in your neighborhood? Like you're driving home at night and it has every single light on in the entire house, like consistently every single night. But the thing about this house is it was like, it was pretty secluded. So they had neighbors, I think, but not close by. It was a farmhouse. Oh boy. Oh my God. Just like the clutters, the clutter family in, um, Truman Capote's book. Oh, yeah. Just in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. They were murdered. Mm. Well, anyway. There you go. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for listening to our 10th and most fabulous episode. <laughs> um, make sure you follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Both handles are at DFWG podcast. Um, also, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash DFWG podcast. Shout out to all of our current patrons, Laura, Brittany, Nikki, and our new one, Jeremiah. Thanks, you guys, for supporting us. We still can't believe people actually choose to do so oh, in this thank way. Thank you so, so much. It's very generous, um, and we're really happy to have you as a part of our little spooky family. Um, make sure you send any encounters to our email, dfwgpodcast at gmail.com. You can send in voice recordings. You can send emails. You can DM us on Instagram, whatever's easiest for you. And also make sure to rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really just helps us grow our audience, get our stuff pushed to more potential listeners. Um, and yeah, so keep your lights turned on at night. And remember to always... Always stay away from Ouija boards. Bye. Bye, guys.